Eyesight is something many of us take for granted, but we're going to talk with two people who live in blindness every day and still lead protective lives. Stay with us. This is Inquire. For the Measure Inquire, I'm Don Wilkins, and joining me this week are Rick Boggess and Cheryl Lott. Rick and Cheryl bring two different perspectives in regards to their blindness. Rick was born blind, and Cheryl lost her sight later in life. And this will be the first of two episodes that we're going to share. So, Rick, I want to start uh, with you, um, and, and I just want to have a little bit of uh, disclosure here, and that we, you know, we're on the Owensboro Lions Club together, and and I know um, you pick up on people's voices, you know, to know who they are. Um, but the other night, you know, when we were at a Christmas party, one of our fellow Lions members came up behind you and just put his hands on your shoulders, and you knew who it was. And I, I didn't at the time ask you how'd you how'd you know that? Um, so can you reveal your secret? How do you <laughs> how, how did you know who that it was Glenn Snow behind you? Uh, it was kind. You can sometimes people just have a way of grip you know gripping your shoulder or touching you that that uh, gives you a clue. I also, you go on height. You know, I, I knew he wasn't six foot six or anything like that just because of the angle he came at my shoulder his hand just and some of it was probably luck <laughs> well I'm, I'm i appreciate your honesty rick but it was still it was impressive because <laughs> you know uh so you know as I, as i said in the intro um you know you um, you have a different perspective uh, whenever it comes to blindness born blind and so can i Give some background, uh, you know, uh, of how um, your story and, and how you've been able to live a normal life, you know, despite not being able to see from from the day you were born, essentially, right? Yes. I I was born, have, have a condition called retrolental fibroplasia, which is basically was the leading cause of blindness in the 40s and 50s. And uh, it was, it's caused... I was premature, although not, I think I weighed about four pounds, so con considering some of the premature infants today, I'm not, you know, wasn't really very premature, but I, uh, the, uh, they attribute it to the excessive use of oxygen in the incubator, and so it was the leading cause of blindness, um, in, in the 40s and 50s. It's now called retinopathy of prematurity. It still exists today, although may not be quite as, as prevalent. It's still quite prevalent. But let's face it, uh, oxygen's very important in a lot of aspects. So, I mean, it, you know, if you, if you don't get enough of it, it can cause brain damage. And so, you know, it's a, fortunately, I don't think I've got brain damage. So the, uh, 
you know, losing sight relative to maybe not being able to do some of the things I've been able to do, I think is a small price to pay. Uh, I grew up in West Virginia. I went to the West Virginia School for the Blind. And my mom and dad uh, treated me pretty normally. For example, I, of course, I lived in a small town and we had, you know, dirt roads and so on. So, but I, I rode a bicycle. You know, they, you know, they let me ride a bicycle and, and uh, I'll, you know, I got out before I even got a cane. I, uh, my dad made a, a stick for me that really wasn't a cane as such, but I used it in the same manner to travel about town. So they, they weren't overly protective, and I think that was, uh, uh, was good. And then uh, when I graduated from the school in West Virginia, I went to Fairmont State College, which is a teacher's college in West Virginia. Uh, and then I went to George Peabody College for Teachers in Nashville, which is now a part of Vanderbilt University to get my master's degree. And then in the late in 1978, uh, when I graduated, I was fortunate enough to find a job here in Owensboro, and I've been here ever since. So, and, and I know you didn't go in t into great detail as far as um, whenever you were growing up, but how difficult was it growing up, you know, blind and 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 not being able, you know, to see and, um, you know, like a lot of your friends maybe? Well, it, it was... I mean, there are always challenges, you know, not, maybe not, you know, like when you become a teenager, obviously you can't drive, and uh, that obviously poses obstacles. I still had a lot of friends who were sighted, have a lot of friends who were blind. As I say, I did a lot of the normal uh, things. Uh, as I say, when I was to school for the blind, I, I, I was involved in a lot of activities there, uh, uh, ran track. I wasn't good at it, but I did do it. I wrestled on we had a high school wrestling team i wrestled on the wrestling team for several years um so and we were so we were encouraged to do a lot of things um uh, while there um that helped i think prepare me uh, to be become a successful adult um you know learn to cook um you know uh, all kinds of skills that were taught there, and of course, travel skills, and all those are crucial to, to success. And so, whenever you came to Owensboro, um, so what what was your what did you teach here in Owensboro? I worked in special education for the Owensboro City Schools uh, for taught visually impaired students, and I worked there for thirty three years. I also worked some. My paycheck came from the city schools, but actually, I also did some work in later years in the county schools as well, particularly those that are inside the Beltline, you know, Tamarack, Apollo, Davis County. I guess technically not inside the Beltline, but those that were, you know, relatively pretty much in the city. Um, so, and, and Davis County Middle and so on. So I worked really in both school systems, although my paycheck came from Owensboro. There was an agreement between the two systems where uh, the, the city build the county for the portion of my time that was spent out there and I don't and I don't imagine that that they probably especially back in that time had anyone with your skill set right to be able to teach you know. actually there was there was a the uh, city schools actually had one of the first oh, well, I say first very early on had a program for visually impaired students Betty Sue Hill who 
still lives here in Owensboro. Uh, started, she's sighted, but she started, uh, she went to Peabody in, I think, the 50s. And she started the program for visually impaired. I don't know how it, you know, I don't know what caused it to get started, but she actually started the program here. And so the city schools have had a program, and, and the county has for many years as well. But the city had a program very early on. And in fact, before I came here, there were two sighted teachers. And then even after, after I started to work here, there were actually two of us. The other lady who still lives here in Owensboro was, is sighted. And so, yeah, they actually had programs. Okay, so you proved me wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so, obviously, you, you, at some point, when did you learn to read with Braille? I was introduced to Braille in kindergarten. Um, continue to use Braille today. Um, of course, there's hard copy Braille, meaning it's on paper. But there are also devices today that are electronic that will will hook up to computers and also uh, the standalone that will display braille really about one line uh well it varies from 20 to 40 characters at a time but it has the ability to to scroll through and so there are electronic braille devices today so it's come a long way in many ways because i can now i can now hook it uh, via bluetooth or via usb to my computer read what's on the computer screen. Of course, I also use speech on my computer, but I can also attach it to my iPhone and use Braille there to read and correspond. Of course, I can also use the regular screen, but but uh, but it's a, it's a very versatile use of Braille today. So how much has technology uh, helped you out personally and just the blind population in general? I think it's been huge now. Um, uh, and really... Of course, uh, I was looking back when I was cleaning out my desk and file cabinets before I retired, and one of the things I came across is in the city schools, we wrote a grant back in the mid-1980s for the first uh, computer systems uh, here in the school, uh, first for, for, for visually impaired. Uh, and at that time, it was 1986, I think it was, five or six, right in that range, and we got four computers with appropriate accessibility, you know, technology. Um, and it's interesting because there was two Apple IIe computers and two IBM computers with 256K of memory and the old five and a quarter inch disks. And now things have evolved to the point, of course, you know, the computers have obviously drastically changed, but now a lot of visually impaired people are using especially iPhones, although the Android technology is also has pretty good accessibility and it's, it's improved drastically. But, but the neat thing about iPhones and tablets is the fact that, uh, you know, whereas a computer is mainly, you know, word processing and uh, th spreadsheets and email and you can do those things plus many, many more things. There's a, uh, in fact, when I first got my first iPhone, I said the neat thing isn't so much the phone, it's all the apps that go on it that let me do things. For example, I have a, an app that lets me identify currency. I have an app that uh, there are several GPS apps. Uh, now there's a lot of work being done with uh, artificial intelligence, uh, doing things like uh, identify, helping you identify pictures uh, and what's around you. Uh, there's a service now that actually uses people well, there are several, but there's 
one in particular that's very good called Ira. Now, it's not cheap. It's about a dollar a minute. But you actually, the, uh, the agents there are trained. They receive a couple of months training on uh, dealing with visually impaired people, and you can call them and ask them. I've used them when walking down streets to describe what's around me. I called the other day because I was going through some old boxes in my attic and just needed to know what the boxes were. And so, but I've had them, uh, well, this summer my wife was out of town, and I have tape on my dishwasher to mark uh, the most critical setting we use, and I inadvertently hit, uh, touched a button on the dishwasher and got all the settings off. So when I would press the button, the dishwasher didn't work, and so I actually called an IRA agent, and they helped me get my dishwasher going again. So... Um, so the tech, the, the, what, what tablets and iPhones bring are, is the ability to have so many different apps available that can, you know, that so instead of carrying four or five devices, you know, on my same device now, I can read books, identify currency, um, uh, of course, do email and the standard things you do with it, uh, have GPS, and there are actually some GPS apps, um, that are geared especially for visually impaired that may give you a little more detail than you know the the apps that you think about although the apps that come on the phone like the maps app and and google maps are also accessible so so there's uh, without carrying m several devices it's all on my phone now so it's 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 amazing so what did you do prior to technology you said i Talk about identifying currency. So, how did you know, you know, a di the difference between a dollar bill and a ten dollar? Well, bill? you do not. You do uh, originally. You had no way of knowing. It's not tactually discernible. Now, coins are coins. You know, quarter, yeah. penny, dime. But the paper currency was not. I can see some unscrupulous person trying to take advantage of you. Well, and, well, that that could happen. And uh, so, uh, so you know, up until recent years, there was no. No way. Now, what, what we would do is we would rely on a sighted person, and then there are certain, you can fold your currency. Like, usually I leave ones folded straight out. I fold a five in half. A ten, I fold long ways ha in half, and then a twenty. And I always say you don't, if you have $100 bills, you probably didn't teach. <laughs> 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 but, and, but also, another thing I tried to do, especially if I was going out of town or dealing with people, I tried to carry smaller bills and use, you know, like fives and tens versus twenties or larger bills. That way, if there, I've not, never had a scrupulous person take advantage of me, fortunately, but in case that were to happen, at least the if impact would be not as great. So... But uh, there are now pro there actually is a uh, there's a uh, been a lawsuit out there for several years and the courts have ruled that the Treasury Department is supposed to make currency um, uh, uh, tactually accessible and come up with a means to do that. Um, supposedly that's going to be implemented in in uh, sometime in the next few years. But um, there's been some delays and. But the courts have ruled that the Treasury needs to make currency uh, uh, taxable accessible. In fact, we're one of a few countries in the world that really doesn't have an accessible currency. Interesting. Okay. So you, you briefly mentioned your wife there. Talk about uh, your, your family. Uh, so um, 
How long have you been married? And and I know you have at least one child, right? I have three boys. Okay. My wife, uh, my wife and I have been married for 38 years. <laughs> I don't know if she wants to admit that, but anyway, <laughs> uh, we've been married for 38 years. Um, I have three boys. Um, one is a works here in Owensboro. He's a police officer here. Another one is uh, works in Louisville, and the third one works in it lives in Florida. So. Uh, all are successfully employed and, and doing pretty well. Yeah, and um, you and I, I guess, first met whenever um, you joined the Lions Club. And how long have you been a member of the Lions Club now? I joined in 2012. Okay. Um, when I retired, uh, I had uh, I'd actually had some experience with the Lions Clubs and my role as a teacher, you know, visually impaired, you know, asking for some assistance for students over the years, things like that. And had actually, back in the 1970s when living in West Virginia, there was an amazing device that's not made anymore called an Opticon that was made. And it's the only device I've, that I'm aware of its type, and there's nothing comparable today. It used a set of 144 vibrating pins and had a handheld camera. And, and you ran the camera over the print page, and the... The image of the letters was displayed. These 144 pins vibrated in the shape of the print letters. And it was a relatively slow device, but it was the one device that uh, that you could use and get, a, like, one of the things that you can do with it that none of the technology I'm aware of today can truly do is I could get an idea of, like, what column, like, if I picked up the newspaper, I could... You know, I can tell that, like, columns are different widths, and, of course, pictures are in the middle of columns and so on like that. And so it was kind of neat because you could get a feel for the format of a page um, by using it. And, and you could also read. It wasn't fast. I think I got up to where I could read about 70 words, 60 or 70 words a minute. But it wasn't a fast device, but it, it gave a type of access that really doesn't exist today. And that will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Rick Bogus and Cheryl Lott for being on the show. Join us next week for part two as Cheryl Lott shares her story about going blind later in life as a result of diabetes. To send us questions or to provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on Messenger Inquire's website, its mobile app, iTunes, and Stitcher, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire.